Claire of Assisi once said, Do not be disturbed by the clamor of the world which passes like a shadow. Do not let false delights of a deceptive world deceive you. Welcome to the 26th episode of St. Dimpna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want people to know the peace St. Clair speaks about, the peace only Christ can offer, a peace that perseveres, hopes, and pushes on in spite of all the clamor of our lives. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Blue Monday came and went a few weeks back. I'd never heard of it before and figured neither had you, so I thought we could chat about it. Blue Monday started in 2005 after a press release from a company known as Sky Travel claimed to have calculated it as the most depressing day of the year. And thanks to social media, the idea took off and became a worldwide trending topic. The idea was reportedly based on a formula that took into account factors like weather conditions, debt level, time since Christmas, time since failing our New Year's resolutions, low motivation motivational levels and a feeling of a need to take action. And according to them, if you crunch the numbers, the third Monday in January is the day. In 2018, the academic who originally came up with the idea reported that his intention was never to make the day sound like a negative one, but rather to inspire people to take bold action with their lives. Now, of course, there isn't an actual most depressing day of the year. We all have different life circumstances going on, and an equal number of us will be depressed on the third Monday of January, as we will be on the fourth Tuesday day of March. But the fact that Blue Monday became a trend on Twitter actually turned out to be a good thing precisely because it got people talking about mental health. Because even if a silly meme online can do good for the fight to eliminate stigma and encourage people to seek help, that's the power of social media these days. And that's something we have to be happy about. If you're feeling supremely blue on the third Monday of January or any other day in any other month, please remember the crisis text line 741741 and text help to get a person right away and consider getting connected to a therapist either through your member services number via your insurance or through your county's mental health access line if you uh, you look it up on google just in case you don't have insurance or if you're covered by medicaid it can be so hard to reach out for help but remember it's a sign of strength to know when we need the help of others and i pray that if you've been needing that kind of support you find that strength today Next up, the Wall Street Journal published a piece in late January titled, It's Like I Got Kicked Out of My Family, Churches Struggle with Mental Health in the Ranks, with the uh, explanatory subtitle, In an Exception to Disability Law, Christian Pastors Can Lose Their Job Over Conditions Such as Depression or Bipolar Disorder. It chronicles a non-denom pastor from Waco, Texas, who led a booming church for eight years and tells a story of how he asked for a break to help prevent burnout, only to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder while on the break. And then a week after uh, he shared his diagnosis with the elders of the community, he was told he was not welcome back as pastor of the church. The article written by Ian Lovett noted something you may not know and may now be asking yourself. Under the Americans with Disabilities Act, employers are required to make reasonable accommodations for workers with physical or mental impairments. Those who believe they were fired because of a disability can sue. Those rules don't apply to faith leaders. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a ministerial exception to the ADA. 
I find the stories covered in this article so incredibly heartbreaking and downright reckless given the recent suicides of a couple of very well-known pastors in the non-Catholic Christian world. It shows the stigmatization of mental illness in Christian communities is prevalent and on display for all to see. If there's anything someone going through a mental health crisis needs, it's the stability of their faith, the support of their friends and family, and a community of people willing to walk through the suffering with them. Instead, the pastors discussed in the article found themselves cast aside by the very community that speaks of unconditional love, undying hope, and taking seriously the call of Christ to help those in need. It only doubles down on my desire to get as many of you listening to push harder to end the stigma around mental illness and treatment for mental health issues in our Catholic community. It has to end. We have to be a community willing to help those who are struggling, both by supporting them and by encouraging everyone to be okay with getting the help they need when they need it. The gospel compels us to walk with those who are suffering, to welcome those who are struggling. And if anything, the Catholic Church has an opportunity to be a true leader in the Christian world on this issue. We just have to embrace the call and realize we are the church. And if we want the church to do something, it has to start with us right now. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today, I'm here to introduce you to Saint Flora. Born in France in 1309, Flora resisted her parents' attempts to get her to agree to marriage and entered the priory of the Hospitaller Nuns of St. John of Jerusalem in 1324. It was then that her depression started. She faced trials, was ridiculed by the other sisters constantly, and yet she worked her way through the tunnel of depression with the help of an understanding confessor and the grace of God. She was granted mystical visions, including one that started on All Saints Day and led to her going three weeks without any food or water, and another time where she was deeply in prayer and was lifted four feet in the air for all to see. Man, the saints are cool. She is the patron of the abandoned, converts, single laywomen, and victims of betrayal. And I think she's an important saint for all of us because her depression came into her life once she started down the path God had called her to. Not just the path she thought God called her to, but the actual path God wanted her to take. And I think this is so important for us to meditate on. We aren't always given good feelings and peace when we make the choice God wants us to make. Sometimes we face new suffering, new trials, and now we can ask for St. Flora's intercession to help us find the strength to keep going. We like to close this part of the podcast out with a prayer, so here we go. Almighty and merciful God, who wished Blessed Flora to love and live as a virgin in the order of St. John of Jerusalem, grant that following her example, we also may love you more and more. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy.
First up, Doyle stops by. Would you kindly consider speaking to dwelling on others' issues or sins? I am sure I am not the only one who has a hard time with this, and I'm not even making any final judgments or trying to even make any minor judgments. However, it's difficult for me when someone has an issue or commits a sin that directly or indirectly affects me. I find difficulty in separating the healthy acknowledgement of my pain and the unhealthy fixation on the person's sin that caused the pain. I often think if this person would stop being so selfish, then X wouldn't happen and I wouldn't be hurt. I was wondering if you could speak to some good strategies to be successful in not dwelling on the bad and looking toward the joyful. Doyle, you most definitely are not the only one who has a hard time with this. I think we all struggle with this experience, especially when another person's sin impacts our life. Let's take a second to pray for Doyle and all of us in similar situations that we may find the grace of God pushing us toward the peace we all so deeply desire. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, it's totally normal to have this experience, and it isn't easy to stop dwelling on the bad. It is so hard to fight the thoughts uh, like the ones that you mentioned. They seem to come automatically, and I should say since you mentioned it, we all have a right to acknowledge the pain and difficulty someone has caused us, but we also have a right to feel peace, and sometimes dwelling on that pain unnecessarily can keep that peace out of our reach. As we all know, Jesus said, Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove that splinter from your eye, while the wooden beam is in your eye? We know, Jesus, we're trying. Anyway, the most helpful strategy I have found is prayer. Not a rote prayer, but a prayer asking for the best for the person we're thinking about. As soon as the person pops into our heads, we can allow the thought to drift through automatically as it often does, and then make an effort to pray for them. Even a simple one-liner, Jesus come into their hearts and bring them closer to you. That's it. Now, I'm not saying I'm able to get myself to do this every time, but I can say that it helps bring me peace when I'm able to do it. It's kind of like acknowledging that we don't know everything, especially in terms of the inner working of others. And the quick prayer is a realization of that and an act of handing everything over to God and letting him sort it all out, allowing us to finally find that peace. Go with our prayers, Doyle. Next up, James is here. What's the difference between DBT, which we're doing with our daughter, and CBT? What psychological and spiritual pitfalls should Catholic participants in these programs be alert for? Our DBT manual, for example, maintains that there is no absolute truth, which I get from a dialectical angle, but I've warned my daughter about believing that as a general rule of life. Awesome question, James. Let's all stop and say a prayer for everyone we know who is getting help for their mental health while navigating what it all means in light of our faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you listen to this podcast with any regularity, you know what I'm going to do next. Definitions. First, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, has its roots in heroes of mine like Alfred Adler and Aaron Beck and basically focuses on challenging or changing 
unhelpful cognitive distortions like thoughts, beliefs, attitudes, improving emotional regulation, and developing coping strategies that target solving current problems. Now, DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, finds its roots in Marshall Linehan, who initially moved the approach in this direction to treat borderline personality disorder. While DBT follows the same path as I mentioned about CBT just now, it places a greater emphasis on regulating emotions, being mindful, and learning to accept pain. As a therapist, I find CBT to be the most commonly effective means of helping people, to be honest, and I use it on a daily basis at work. The only pitfall I can think of is uh, is turning ourselves to like reducing our thoughts and feelings to a mechanical way of understanding. That can lead to a loss of individuality if we uh, let it get out of hand. So that's something to think about. Now to the question about DBT teaching, there are no absolute truths and how to handle that. I think it's important to separate what these therapies are addressing from the big giant realities of the world we talk about in our faith. And what I mean by that is seeing the cognitive distortions that this piece of uh, advice addresses to help give it context. The one that might closely correlate with, there are no absolute truths, the idea that you had uh, mentioned, um, is the idea of the distortion of polarized thinking or black and white thinking. This is where we in terms of we think in terms of all or nothing. We either have to be perfect or we're a complete failure. There is no middle ground. This leads to our thinking going to extremes and very commonly leads to an increase in depression. So perhaps a better way to phrase what the manual is trying to get at is the idea that words like never and every are not helping us. Instead, we should reframe our thinking to live more in the gray area since that's where most of life is. So I think in the context of this cognitive distortion, the advice that there are no absolute truths makes sense. And while I personally wouldn't frame it in those terms, most likely because of my Catholic faith, I think we can now understand it in the way it was meant to be in the manual. And as always, it's important to continually reaffirm the absolute truths of our faith to our children to help remind them of their importance and that they are true no matter what anyone says, even a therapist. Anonymous brings us on home with this one. How can family members support those with PTSD? My husband has military-related PTSD and is in counseling. I'm not sure what I can do to help or if there's anything I can do. Okay, you all need to join me in saying a prayer for Anonymous's husband and everyone suffering from PTSD, especially those who served in our military, and for all those who love them and are trying to navigate how to help them. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. First off, I should note that supporting someone and walking with them through their suffering related to PTSD will look different for everyone. Some people might want space and time alone. Others might want all-encompassing support and the people around, uh, people around them all the time. Others might need a little of both. So the first thing to do is to ask how you can support a loved one. Of course, when a lot of us are suffering, we don't know the answer to that question. We don't know what we need, so that does complicate things. We need to acknowledge that PTSD can be hard on family 
families in addition to the individual suffering. And I'd just like to add in a shout out for family members to get help for themselves as well. Okay, so let's take a look at the tips from the VA who know a lot about this topic. Here are some ways they suggest we help. Learn as much about PTSD as possible. Knowing how PTSD affects people may help you understand what your family member is going through. The more you know, the better you and your family member can handle PTSD. Offer to go to doctor visits with your family member. You can uh, help keep track of medicine and therapy, and you can be there for support. Tell your loved one you want to listen and that you also understand it's not the right time to talk. Plan family activities together like having dinner or going to a movie. Take a walk or go for a bike ride or do some other physical activity together. Exercise is important for health and helps clear your mind. Encourage contact with family and close friends. A support system will help your loved one to get through difficult cha- uh, changes and stressful times. They continue. Your family member may not want your help. If this happens, keep in mind that withdrawal or pulling away can be a symptom of PTSD. A person who withdraws may not feel like talking, taking part in group activities, or being around other people. Give your loved ones space, but also say that you will be ready to help at another time. I think it's so wonderful that your husband is in counseling and that you are so deeply involved in wanting to help him. It's such a blessing to see both of those things. And please know that we'll be praying for you as you move forward uh, and work to learn the best way to support him and take care of yourself at the same time. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations. If you'd like me to address them in the future, I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.